and welcome to this very special episode of What a Scream, where unlike my previous episodes where I do a, a discussion with a special guest about a certain subject and two films that encapsulate that subject, on this very special spooky season Samhain uh, special have I said special enough? I'm going to say it again. It's a special episode. Um, I am taking a deep dive about Halloween with um, a very special guest. Um, yeah, I mean, what other film would I be doing on spooky season Halloween? Um, so Halloween is directed by... John Carpenter, who also scored the film, who also co-wrote it with producer Deborah Hill, starring Donald Pleasance and Jamie Lee Curtis in her film debut. Um, I'm sure we all know the plot. I'm going to get into it in the discussion, so I'm not going to tell you all about it. Um, I mean, everyone knows what Halloween is. Everyone knows who Micah Myers is, and we're not just talking about the Austin Powers actor. Um, <laughs> so before we get into this special deep dive of Halloween. Um, I guess I better introduce my my guest for the week, I guess. Um, so <laughs> my guest who is discussing Halloween with me is a host of the Cadaver Dogs, uh, David. Uh, and together we are chatting about the original 1978 film, as well as its sequels, as well as its... Uh, remakes by a certain Mr. Rob Zombie. Um, so yes, I hope you enjoy this very special episode, special again, uh, of Halloween. Um, I would like to welcome to What a Scream this week, my very special guest on a very special episode, um, David, who is the co-host of another podcast called Cadaver Dogs. How are you? I'm doing good. It's good to be on here. I'm so excited to chat about this because I was like, okay, I want to do a special episode for Halloween. And of course, what else can you do as a special episode for Halloween? But Halloween. So <laughs> we are doing a special deep dive of the classic that is Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween. Um, but before we kick that off, would you like to give it a, a little introduction and a little bit of a, a get to know you? Uh, for our listeners out there. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I am a co-host of my own podcast, Cadaver Dogs, along with two others. The three of us are all filmmakers. We all work in the industry. And basically, we do these deep dives on movies. We compare two films based on their themes and analyze them thematically. So I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm a script supervisor and a horror addict. And I just I just love horror movies a lot. I, I think they're so much fun and have really creative filmmaking and unique storytelling. And why do you think, like you said, you know, you really love horror films and we both do. We're both, you know, fanatical about it, obviously. Otherwise, we wouldn't have these podcasts. Um, why do you think horror movie fans are so fanatical? Ah, that's a great question. Uh, and there are many ways to answer it because I think that horror is a really wide ranging genre that encompasses a lot of different things. But I think that at the core of it, 
a horror film will always have extremely high stakes. It is always reflective of our time uh, in some way. Like, that was a good example. Um, like, like how uh, it, when we had the torture porn movement with Saw even, and at the time it maybe felt like, where are these movies coming from? But then five, 10 years later, you look back at them and go, oh, this was a response to 9-11 and the uh, torture going on in Guantanamo Bay. Even though the director's not American, like that is at least why it caught on. Like it may not have been his intention in making it, but it helped these movies really catch on. And I think that it is always very reflective of the fears that we have and allows us to confront them in a safe environment. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um it's kind of weird because you wouldn't really find as like fanatical people about like romantic comedies. Um, but <laughs> you can. Oh, oh, I no, you can. <laughs> Maybe I just haven't like gone deep enough into the internet to find a <laughs> romantic comedy fanatics. Um, so do you remember when you first got into horror and what the first horror film was you ever saw? <laughs> uh, it's a long story. <laughs> Um, so when I was a kid, I strongly believed that I didn't like horror, which was ridiculous because I was obsessed with Scooby-Doo and I loved all things monsters. And it made no sense that I didn't think I liked horror. Uh, and I had a friend call me out on it and was like, no, David, you love horror. Why are you saying this? So he got me to watch a few movies. Uh, Scream was the one that really, really clicked with me. And then I said, oh, maybe you're probably right I probably like horror uh but that's not the end of the story so then I said okay uh I'm gonna go watch one of these on my own now the one everyone talks about is Halloween so and remember there's more to this but to start I watched Halloween and I said wow this is everything that Scream was making fun of and I don't like it at all Maybe I guess Scream was just an exception to the rule. And then I went about four more years thinking that I didn't like horror until at some point I saw some clip from Halloween. I recognized like, oh, yeah, that was that terrible movie that I saw. Then I saw everyone talking about the clip and saying, yeah, that's Rob Zombie's terrible remake of Halloween. And I was oh, just like, no. oh, my God, I watched the wrong movie. And every horror movie in that time span that I was watching, I'd be like, oh, that's good. That must be another exception. And then after this, I was like, well, got to watch the real Halloween now. Then I watched John Carpenter's Halloween. And we're about to talk about it. And I was like, well, this is fantastic. So. <laughs> oh, no, I can, I, like, I can imagine that happening. I can imagine even like nowadays young horror fans being like okay i'm gonna go watch the classics and put on like accidentally puts on the remake of like friday the 13th or you know, you know and then yeah. being like what is this crap i i would never make that mistake now but i back then i'm like i don't know any better i don't know how filmmaking has changed over time to be able to recognize at a glance what decade i'm in <laughs> I, I still I hold this against Rob Zombie. I I absolutely hold this against Rob Zombie and blame him for robbing years of my horror life. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure we'll get on to Rob Zombie later. But um, <laughs> so let's kick off this Halloween special episode. Um, 
So do you want to give us a brief synopsis about John Carpenter's Halloween? Great. So John Carpenter's Halloween, also known as the good Halloween, <laughs> uh, it starts off uh, in the ni- early 1960s. And we're watching this cool POV shot as someone murders uh, a young teenage girl. And then we find out that this is a child and her younger brother. 15 years later, he's been in an asylum all this time, but his therapist uh, does not believe, this therapist believes that the thing that is wrong with him is simply that he is pure evil. And this man, Michael Myers, breaks out while being transferred and returns home. It's the night he came home and he stalks uh, the civilians of this town. In the sequels, they give him more motivation. They say he's the sister. They say he's the brother of Laurie Strode, that she was his younger sister. Uh, But in the original, there's none of that. He has no motive. He is just stalking teenagers and killing them because he really likes killing. (laughs) You know, it's such a great classic, but it's such a simple kind of thing, isn't it? He just, just enjoys killing. He's just evil um and we've got this dr loomis character who is just trying to get everyone to believe him that he's just like he should never be let out you know he should be locked away and the key thrown away and and it's just i think one of the great things about the original halloween is we are given no reason and no motive and that's what makes it scary yeah exactly it's what if a person could just be evil and they they play with your expectations there a lot that you keep trying to rationalize it and they lean into that a bit so it never is fully explicitly supernatural but you you keep trying to figure out why he is doing this you're looking for motivation you're looking to rationalize his abilities to be like how how can he drive a car? There must be some way he can do this. No, oh, man, he's just evil. <laughs> it was great. So I, when I was watching it last night, he, uh, so he hijacks a car and the, uh, the head of the psychiatric unit is like, well, he couldn't have got far. He doesn't know how to drive. And uh, I was like, that's right. How does he know how to drive? And then Dr. <laughs> Loomis is like, well, he must have learned somewhere. And it's just... <laughs> It's got these little flecks of comedy in it, which I find quite good in such like a a heavy film. Um, Mm. And about the whole evil thing, when I was reading up about Halloween, when Deborah Hill and John Carpenter were writing it, they wanted to really kind of focus on uh, the origins of Halloween, which is Samhain, um, Mm. like a Celtic festival. And the idea behind Samhain is that evil is just evil, that you cannot get rid of it. You cannot kill it. It is just there. And it's something you have to live with. And that's what kind of comes across in Michael. Oh, wow. That's so cool. I I, I never even thought of it that way. I, I was even thinking last night, I'm like, I wonder why this had to be set at Halloween. Why is that an important part of it? So that that's a really cool way to, to explain it. Yeah. But apparently um, John Carpenter was approached after he'd done uh, Assault on Precinct 13. And... Um, whoever the studios whatever came to him and were like look we want you to write this film about a psycho killer who kills a bunch of teenagers and he was like okay we'll call it the babysitter killer and they were like 
how about we set it on Halloween and call it Halloween? And that's the starting point. That's when him and Deborah Hill were like, oh, okay. could you imagine if it was called the babysitter killer? You'd be like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I've heard that name. I mean, that name sounds kind of fun, but it would it's it's in the same way of like sorority house massacre or something. That that's what that sounds like. It 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 feels like more a more B-grade slasher film. Uh, and not the perfection masterpiece that is John Carpenter's Halloween. Exactly. Um, I mean, and of course, it had a lot of influence from like Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho and Bob Clark's Black Christmas. Yeah. Um, are those influences uh, strong for you when you watch them? Or do you really feel that it's like a kind of a defining moment of horror by itself? I think psycho and peeping tom are really like the origins of the slasher i absolutely consider psycho to be a slasher and i think it's silly when people don't um halloween i think is very clearly directly influenced by black christmas that so much of the plot and filmmaking feel uh very much in parallel even like the pov style of the kills uh, comes right from black christmas a lot of the tropes come from Black Christmas. Um, a lot of the the direction and the camera work comes from that as well. Uh, but it still stands out on its own at the same time. I think it kind of takes that movie, which is much more grounded and realistic, and adds this oomph of... Um, um, I, you described it as comedy. I would describe it almost as the absurd, but not in a comedic sense, but in this almost surreal, something doesn't quite make sense about this. And I can't place what it is, but it's freaking me out. <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely feel like you said with the involvement of a point of view camera, um, that's what also adds to the uncanny of it because we as the audience are being forced to view something from a killer's perspective. And it's from the very yeah. get-go. It's the very opening scene that we are forced to view this murder of a teenager from the killer's perspective. So it, it feels very voyeuristic and it puts us in an uncomfortable position. And I think that adds, along with like this weird supernatural element that Michael has, it definitely adds to the weirdness of it. Yeah, it's voyeuristic, but at the same time, I think that a lot of people have interpreted it as being about sex, and there's definitely an argument to be made for that. But I don't think Michael is killing out of anything sexual, even in that opening scene when he's murdering his sister. She's, like, mostly naked, her breasts are out, but he, the camera just tilts up and he's looking at the knife as it comes up, not as it's going down, as it's coming up. Like, he is more fascinated by the act of killing than he is by the murder itself. So, getting on to, like, that subject of murder and sex, especially in the slasher genre, um, Halloween was kind of thought of as one of the first to be, like, uh, that kind of cements this trope that if you have sex, you die. Um, yeah. Do you think that was like a moral thing that the writers were trying to get across? Or do you think it was just like, they're just being teenagers and they happen to get killed? I don't think the writers put that much thought into it. 
it's definitely there in a movie. I don't think there was any conscious conversation where they were like, oh, well, if they have sex, then they have to die because sex is wrong. But at the same time, it is absolutely baked into the film that Lori is the survivor and she is also the version of the group. This is actually one of the very few movies that lines up with that trope perfectly. Um, she still does do drugs. She, 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 they have the scene where she's smoking uh, marijuana, but, <laughs> but even then she clearly is not as experienced that she can't stop coughing afterwards. So she's more, she's trying to be cool and this isn't her lifestyle. Um, and I, I think that's almost just even in a subconscious way that it's just something that they did to make her feel more likable, feel more innocent. We always think of the innocence as like, they can't be endangered. It's if a child is being stalked, then we, we put, give them more value than someone who's older. And I think it kind of more goes along with that. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. What do you think? Um, yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I think for every film that came after it, it was very much like, especially with the time in which it came out, you know, in the in the 80s, that the golden era of slasher, it was very much like, if you have sex, you'll be punished and, you know, you yeah. must be virginal and perfect and then you'll survive and whatever. Um, but I definitely think it was just, it was just what happened in Halloween. You know, Michael was stalking these teenagers and they're at their most vulnerable when they're drinking, doing drugs or having sex. So that was the perfect time to kind of, get them and that was it yeah. it wasn't it wasn't any moral tale or anything um so getting on to laurie she is kind of the first fully actualized final girl trope that mm. then i mean obviously we had it before in psycho and in black christmas but it felt like glory strode was the very first stereotype of the final girl trope uh do you feel the same way do you think she is you know the 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 grandmother of final girls as it were i think she's the template that all the later final girls followed or kind of have to play off to some extent but i would not discount chess from black christmas who i think is extremely underrated and amazing and i also want to discount sally from texas chainsaw massacre who i think is the real birth of the trope even though she's not a very interesting character <laughs> <laughs> Uh, with apologies, uh, I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. but it's, it's not really a character movie. Not <laughs> <laughs> really, no. <laughs> um, Laurie is the one that brought all of these tropes that we associate with the final girl and cemented them in the genre. And a large part of that is just because this is the movie that every other movie copied for the next decade. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even nowadays, we still have copies of Halloween and Laurie yeah. Strode, and it, it became very much like a teen slasher 101. Um, and even not in slashers, even in like supernatural films or science yeah. fiction, it was still, they still borrowed a lot from Halloween. We have one coming out on It Follows, and the main character in It Follows is actually named after Jamie Lee Curtis. 
Well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So another theme in Halloween is uh, kind of the evils of suburbia. Um, So we've got this like white picket fence, um, perfection, you know, living the American dream. But yet we have this thing that was born from that, which is Michael. He was from suburbia. He's he had two parents, you know, a sister and perfect house or whatever. Um, obviously, unlike Rob Zombie's Halloween, we get the sense that he did come from an okay family. Um, what do you think of that theme of uh, the evil of suburbia? I'm so glad that you brought this up. This is, uh, I, I've seen this movie many times. This is the first time I watched it since I've started the podcast. And I think my brain is just hardwired now to think about theme. And I just zeroed in on all the suburbia in this movie. And I think it is primarily about that. Uh, it, it, I, I wrote a whole thing. Should I just go through it? <laughs> go for it. Yeah. So, this movie is timeless, but putting it in its time place, I think certain themes do emerge. Uh, American suburbia is still shockingly modern. It really only emerged in the aftermath of World War II when veterans were coming home. They wanted to put the horrors of war and of the Great Depression behind them, and everyone just went full on in this. We got into the late 40s and the 50s, the I Love Lucy era, as I would call it, where everything is lovey-dovey and perfect. The greatest threat during that era was outsiders. It was communism. And kind of just no one even really noticed as people in suburbia, especially women, just sort of dwindled away and were forgotten. Um, But then the 60s, those cracks started to emerge. We begin to see how unhappy the women were. Uh, The Vietnam War is slowly building in the background. Uh, Teens, which are also a really modern invention, uh, began to rebel. Uh, we got the Beatles, we got Woodstock, we got Charles Manson. It was the war at home. And that led into the 1970s when everything just came crashing down. That was the Watergate scandal. That was Nixon resigns, Ford pardoned Nixon. Um, Vietnam War has ended and we have absolutely nothing to show for the past decade and a half of torment. Uh, the new president is Jimmy Carter, and he's very nice, but he's a fucking peanut farmer. What's he going to do? Americans are hopeless and afraid. It's like the entire country is suffering from this collective PTSD. So Michael Myers comes in, and he's just some guy who was raised, he was brewed by this American suburbia, and he is American. Judith is killed by her own brother. It's this idea that we can't trust each other and we can't trust authorities to be helping us. We can't trust the suburbs. Uh, The heroes are completely helpless. All they can do is hope and pray that someone else saves them. They aren't able to fight the danger or even recognize it. We see Michael's face at the end of the movie. And if you were to encounter that face in everyday life, like, wouldn't raise a single red flag you wouldn't even know to be afraid it's it's not just stranger danger it's literally the death of the american dream that was amazing i couldn't have put it any better um exactly you walk off that's the end of the podcast thank you Um, (laughs) but we do at this point when it came out we did see i mean 
I hate putting it back to like people like Ted Bundy. Not Ted. Yeah, it Ted is. Bundy. I was like, Absolutely. Ted Bundy, is that a word? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> everyone thought he was the, the, I mean, obviously he had a bit of a family scandal, but everyone thought he was the nice boy from a good family and he seemed really nice and charming and blah, 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 blah. It turned out he was the biggest monster of them all. Um, and we just have this thing where we're always taught to like fear the inner city and fear the poor and the poverty and blah, 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 blah. When really there's so much evil within middle-class white suburbia that yeah. it's hiding beneath this mask, which is exactly what Michael Myers represents. Um, and especially when you think about who the mask was, it was like William Shatner and he was like a massive... <laughs> Yep. icon and you just think yeah there is obviously not i'm not saying anything against mr shatner himself because i'm sure he's sure he's nice um but he represented you know like a the glossy pop culture um and everything that was meant to be right when really underneath it all it's it can be evil exactly it's this complete distrust of the um what's the word the the organizations no the the establishments that we've been told to trust that we've been made to place our faith in it is this distrust of them even the authorities in the movie none of them are malicious but they're just grossly incompetent not even grossly incompetent they're not bumbling around like in a we did an episode on the town that traded sundowns and mm -hmm. talked a little bit about this there but in that movie the cops are shown to be ridiculous bumbling buffoons yeah. in this movie it's that's it's not that it's mm. just that what the fuck are they gonna do yeah and another thing that like i only realized after watching this last night and then doing a bit of reading back on halloween is how absent all the parents are i mean yeah in the very first scene michael's parents are out and then they come back and like they have this weird moment where he's out on the front lawn and he's like got a bloody knife and the parents are just looking at him and the mom just like puts her hands in her pockets like la 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 la. You know, she seems completely oblivious to what's going on. And then even during the film, where are all the parents? Like, what is going on? Uh, we see Jamie, uh, Laurie Strode's father for a brief moment in the beginning of the movie. Uh, he's a real estate agent. He uh, assigns her to drop off the keys at the Myers house, which... It's been 15 years and they're still calling it the Myers house. I guess just remained on the market all these years because no one wants it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and watch seeing that moment again last night. I was like, I literally forgot he was in the movie. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, her, her, she has a dad. He works in real estate. I, I forgot that. <laughs> do you think that was um uh done on purpose in the film do you think john carpenter and deborah hill were like look we want to get this point across that sometimes like we said there is this glossy thing to like white suburbia where you know happy families and whatever but in actual fact the parents are absent whether it's mentally and emotionally or physically uh, absolutely. I think that that was done on purpose. I mean, we're talking about distrust of authorities. The biggest authority for a teenager is their parents. And Annie's father is the sheriff in town. He is the, I don't know if he's a sheriff or a police captain, but he is the officer yeah. in town. Uh, Lori's father and his brief appearance, he's the real estate agent. He's the one who is creating the suburb. They are the authorities and they're just not there. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so let's have a little chat about the legacy of, I know we're going to get onto the sequels or whatever, mm -hmm. but if we look at the first Halloween as a standalone film, what do you think is its legacy? I think it is arguably the best slasher. Um, I mean, its legacy is that it created this genre or cemented this genre and created all of these copycats that are trying to imitate it. I'm going to offend a lot of people and say that I don't like Friday the 13th. I think uh -huh. it is very uh, a boring ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like some of the later sequels to Friday the 13th when it gets really mm -hmm. ridiculous. Those are ones that I enjoy. I don't like the original. Um, and I mean, the entire. I, I think in like the two or three years that directly followed Halloween, there were just like a hundred slasher movies mm, that came yeah. out in rapid fire, like before they were even able to be self-aware because they were just coming out too quickly. They had no time to reflect on it. By the time that Halloween 2 came out, there was already a, a excess uh, present in the genre. Um, but when you actually go back and watch the movie, it's really different from all of those copycats because it's not... I'm not going to say it's not exploitative, but it's not as much. There isn't really yeah. a lot of gore in it. Um there's definitely nudity, but there's not that much gore. And it's just better shot. It's, it's just really well directed. <laughs> and the cinematography is fucking amazing. The score is fucking amazing. Like Carpenter uses mm -hmm. every tool at his disposal to create this brilliant minimalist film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't have put it any better myself. Um, so... Let's move on to the sequels, which is, oh dear, like I was just, I was just reading over them there because I'll be honest, like Halloween isn't a franchise I've really gotten into. Like I've obviously seen the original and I've seen Season of the Witch a billion times and I've watched like the Rob yeah. Zombie ones. Um, and I think what stopped me from going into the Halloween sequels is they're all over the place, plotline-wise. <laughs> there's no, like, there's no simple plotline or storyline or, like, clear. They're just all over the place, aren't they? It's a, it's a choose-your-own-adventure book is how I like to think of it. It's a, if, you, if you want the version where uh, Michael is actually her brother, go to page two. If you don't <laughs> want that, go to page 2018. <laughs> you want the one where Lori dies off screen, page four. <laughs> Why do you think they haven't followed a progressive or natural line? I mean, I think you can go to each movie and discuss why the origins of how it got rebooted, but I mean, most of the time it gets rebooted when the one that came out right before was terrible. <laughs> so I think it might just be really hard to follow up on Halloween I think it's just such a titan of the genre that making any follow up to it is bound to come up short 
and people mm. are bound to be disappointed. You're going to demystify Michael. You're going to take away that mystery. And it, you, if you don't have John Carpenter, then what's the point? <laughs> um, I actually really like a lot of the sequels, but it is wildly all over the place. Yeah, I like they've gone up on Netflix. So I'm like, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Um, so we've got Halloween two that follows directly after the first Great Halloween. Uh, Laurie is in hospital, and uh, Michael comes back. Um, and then we've got season of the witch, which has nothing to do with uh, <laughs> with Michael Myers. Absolute nothing. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I covered that on a couple of podcasts ago. Um, so yeah, if you, you get confused with that one as well. So then four, is that where, yeah, four. Yep. Laurie four is, is Michael Returns. Laurie is dead yep. and it's her daughter. Is that correct? Yes. yes. It's uh, Jamie Lloyd, um, obviously named after Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah. played by a young child, Danielle Harris. Yes. And then in um, the fifth one, Danielle Harris dies and it's her mm, baby Paul something about Paul Rudd. See, it gets so confusing. Danielle Harris is the younger one. She doesn't die until the oh. terrible sixth movie. The fifth movie, right. uh her babysitter Rachel dies, spoiler alert, in the first half hour. And that was a bad decision because Rachel was great. <laughs> <laughs> I I really I really don't like the trope in horror movies when they kill off the previous final girl. Okay. I I, I particularly if they do that in early in the movie, if they do it at the end mm-hmm. and they build up to it, then like fine, it's more of a story beat that way. But when they just offhandedly kill off the previous survivor i i get really annoyed about it i'm like i just watched a whole movie of this person surviving yeah i'm just gonna wave them off in the first 30 minutes like <laughs> come on <laughs> and then we have halloween h2o which completely disregards everything everything that has just happened and yep. it starts off with jamie lee curtis is not dead she is back. Laurie Strode is back. And uh, she faked her own death and now has a son. <laughs> I think some people have argued that you could combine those because she faked her own death, that they yeah. could be in the same continuity. But the movie doesn't take that route, uh, which maybe it should have. I don't know. Um, but my headcanon, the, the way I would choose my own adventure is Halloween, Halloween 2, and H2O. To okay. me, that is the trilogy of Halloween movies, yeah. and that is my headcanon. And I consider Michael's death at the end of H2O to be his canonical death. Okay. The next movie. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So then there's <laughs> another film that, as you said, resurrects him. And then we jump to 2018 so we're just we're just going to take out rob zombies at the moment we'll talk about them in a bit so then we've got 2018 (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna discuss them um so then we have 2018 and again this film disregards the fact that in halloween 2 it came out that laurie strode was uh michael's sister 
And in this film, they're not. They're not siblings. I think that's what confused me about this film. I was like, hang on a minute. Are they not? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, what did you feel about the 2018 Halloween? I have mixed feelings. Um, I, I think by the time this drops, Halloween Kills will have come out, right? Yes, yeah. Yes, but we're recording it before that, so yeah. we have not seen Halloween yeah. Kills. Um, knowing that these movies usually have one good installment and then go off the deep end, I do not have high expectations, but I will definitely yeah. see it. Um, Halloween 2018, I actually do like. I I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think it's mm-hmm. kind of a remake of H2O, actually. That okay, is- yeah largely just does the same thing as h2o yeah um i do like its exploration of Lori's trauma i think that the yeah. way it handles her character is really interesting i also think that it is very silly and at a certain point they're just recreating shots from the original and it, it starts to just feel annoying and like like yeah i get it you're making the, the shot was in the original movie i get it <laughs> yeah again it's definitely i have to revisit it once i'm done with all the other sequels i think i'll have to revisit it um so getting on to the rob zombie versions um (laughs) you obviously didn't like them (laughs) um i when i was going through my rob zombie phase i actually really liked the first one he did um I, I liked how it kind of went back and it, it went through Michael's childhood. Obviously it changed it completely from the first one. And I, I kind of liked it. I kind of appreciated it. Uh, second one, eh, you can just forget about it altogether. But I will admit it was just because I was going through my Rob Zombie phase. Um, I never went through a Rob Zombie phase. I've seen a, I, I, also, I have seen House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. I didn't like those either. I, I I just I don't like his filmmaking style. I think his music is really good, uh, but his choppy, expediated editing I think is really uninteresting. And it he he like I I I find that he leans more into the exploitation angle that I find not that interesting. And even his filmmaking to me is sloppy. Like comparing the deaths of judith in both of the movies in the original it's a wonder i mean john carpenter mostly plays halloween he doesn't really go in for like the shot reverse shot coverage of dialogue at any point it's always uh he always plays these dialogues out in a single shot and i think that that works really well in that movie and then in Rob Zombies, you even have like the death of Judith Myers, where you're cutting back and forth between Michael and Judith. And it's in, the, in these really, really tight close ups, which I, I guess he's trying to place the emphasis on their characters and their emotions. But I, I think it's it, it looks more generic and less scary it, it it doesn't have the style that carpenter had if that makes sense yeah absolutely um do you think it was necessary for rob zombie to 
go through Michael's childhood and almost give a reason as to why? Or do you think that it's not necessary? It definitely takes away from Michael being pure evil. I'm not opposed necessarily to doing something different. Like if you're going to remake Halloween, then I think taking a different approach to it is fine or it could be fine. I do not think that it's as interesting as the mystery in the John Carpenter movie, but I'm not opposed to having a movie about a killer whose backstory we are aware of. I just don't think the backstory of Rob Zombie explored was interesting. <laughs> I, I just think the execution of it was. He, he really like Rob Zombie really likes his rednecks. <laughs> He does, doesn't he? He's really into his rednecks, isn't he? He's really into his rednecks, and he's really into his extremely on-the-nose dialogue. (laughs) Um, So to wrap it all up, would you recommend Halloween to horror fans? The original now, not Rob Zombie's. The original? Oh, yeah. I mean, probably most of the horror fans have seen Halloween, and that's probably why they became horror fans, but if you are one of the lucky few who still has that first experience ahead of you, then yeah, <laughs> have fun. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> recommend it. Like I'm always very into like learn your history of horror, learn your history of horror. And it is, it's one of those pivotal moments of horror that sparked the golden age of the slasher. And so I think it's really important to go back and watch stuff like Black Christmas um, and Halloween just know where that genre came from. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think Black Christmas and Halloween are both better than most of the other slashers. So yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. Um, so before we go, I always ask my guests, what is your favorite horror film? Well, the listeners can't see it, but there is a massive poster of an American werewolf in London behind me. So obviously my answer is Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> what is it? I'm going to assume you're being sarcastic. and uh... <laughs> I, I really love Rosemary's Baby. No, yeah. <laughs> Rosemary's Baby is my answer. I love that movie. Okay. And why, um, why Rosemary's Baby? I love... Oh, man, I could go on for ages. Uh, it's, it's just so... An excellent script i love the character of rosemary and the performance that mia farrow puts into it uh this exploration of this woman who is slowly realizing that she's being gaslit by her husband that she's slowly emerging from her shell but she also never loses herself at the same time that she keeps that sort of I don't want to say ditzy because that sounds condescending. Um, whatever a not condescending way of saying that is. <laughs> like she keeps her personality. She keeps her demeanor even as she is liberating herself. So it doesn't associate that as like part of her oppression in any way. The problem is not her. It's the people around her. Um, and it's so effective at that the first time I watched that movie in high school, it even gaslit me. And I was like, oh, well, guy isn't that bad. And then you watch it now. I'm like, guy's a fucking monster. 
Um, so for anyone who wants to find you or your podcast, where can they get you? Yeah, so you can follow us at Cadaver Dogs Pod on all your social media. We're on Insta, Twitter, and technically Facebook, but that one's not as big. Um, and you can find our podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts. We have an episode with Egrain here uh, that dropped a couple weeks ago on our top three spooky dolls. Yeah. Uh, we also just covered another John Carpenter movie in the Mouth of Madness. Yes, nice. Um, so thank you so much for coming on and doing this Halloween special with me. Yeah, it was an awesome conversation. I had a lot of fun. Great, and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. So that was my chat there with David from Kadaba Dogs about John Carpenter's 1978 classic Halloween. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode um, and going in deep to another classic horror i know we've done the exorcist and the shining beforehand um do you have any suggestions about what other classic horror films you would like to see as a deep dive um let me know come at me on twitter at what underscore scream or on instagram and facebook at what a scream podcast um as always i hope you are enjoying the season that is upon us um and i hope you have a really safe halloween whatever you end up doing i hope you have a fantastic Samhain. um for all my mexican listeners um i hope you have um a good safe day of the dead on the first of november and as always stay horrific goodbye Shouldn't be scared of the Dracula. Shouldn't be scared of-